Good morning. We're in a mini-series looking at the, the nature of church. In particular, we're looking at its essence, and we did that by exploring John 15 and, and thinking about the concept that we are many branches, but we're united in one vine. Then last week, we looked at the function of the church. We looked at Ephesians 4 and 5, and we decided that it had a lot to do with carpentry and electrical. That is to say, uh, the function of the church is firstly to build itself up, it's kind of carpentry, and then it's to light up the world. That's the electrical part. And today, in fact, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the form of the church. Now, I must confess, approaching this particular message, I found it a little bit more difficult to become as excited as I was about the last two messages, the essence of the church and the function of the church. And I turned my heart to God and I, I sort of asked him, God, what's your heart regarding form, the form of the church? And my, my deep sense was that it's important to pay attention, but don't become overly fixated on it. And as we go through this morning's sermon, I think you'll, you'll see why. Uh, a, a little while ago, I was watching a documentary uh, three drivers were testing and comparing three luxury cars by driving them across Georgia and Azerbaijan. Um, the, the three cars, for those of you who are into cars, is the uh, BMW, an Aston Martin and a Bentley. I can't get more detailed than that, I'm sorry. I do know the Aston Martin was a DBS. Beyond that, I don't really know. But they were luxury cars. The sort of price tags on these cars are 100000 Plus, um, one of them was was over two hundred thousand uh, pounds. So we're talking some some serious machinery here. Anyway, one particular point after they'd been putting these cars through their paces and so forth, uh, one of the drivers comments that at the end of the day, though, in the real world, none of these cars are any faster than all of the cars that the locals there in Azerbaijan were driving. With a, a little bit of scepticism, he says, let me prove my point tomorrow morning. And so the next morning they gathered and uh, they, they hired a driver and put him in an absolute bomb. I, I can't recall if it was a Citroen or whatever it was, but it didn't even start on the first attempt. They gave this driver in this bomb of a car 20 seconds head start. And, and then basically it was simple. Um, the race was on. All they had to do was beat that particular driver in his beat-up old Citroen to a, a destination probably, you know, 20 kilometres away. Well, they had, some, they had some serious power in their particular cars, but they were, they were bound ultimately by exactly the same rules that the first driver was bound by. They had traffic lights, they had congestion, they had pedestrians, they had farm animals crossing the road, they had speed cameras at one point. In the real world... They could drive no faster, really, despite all of that power under the hood. They could drive no faster than the other driver could, who actually arrived um, a couple of minutes ahead of them, simply because Aston Martins don't do that great on cobbled stone roads and, and Bentleys don't do fantastic um, around tight bends and small alleyways. The point simply was this, that in the real world, the real world of driving, it's just a vehicle. It gets you from A to B. Yes, you can have a lot of power under the hood and a lot of luxurious uh, sort of uh, uh, features inside the car, but it's a vehicle. When it comes to the church, 
and the form of the church, I, I sense that, that God is probably saying something similar. Now, pay attention, but don't become too fixated on it. Uh, form is important, and discussions about the form of the church and being contextual and relevant, they're important discussions to have. But we probably do well to keep in mind, at the end of the day, they're, they're just a vehicle. There's no particular form of church in and of itself that outperforms any other form. Having said that, it's good to acknowledge there are many, many different forms of, of church. Um, in uh, previous jobs I've had, I've had the privilege of um, uh, visiting many different countries around the world and, and speaking in many different churches. A, a couple that stand out is uh, one in the rural jungles of the Philippines and um, this particular church met in a community hall, a hall. Actually, that's a generous word. It was just a roof. There were no walls anywhere. But we all sat in chairs and, and so forth and looked forward. And when the kids' program started up, I remember all the kids just poured out the side of the church and disappeared down the hill, our, our kids with them. Bron and I had a quick look at each other and thought, are we okay about this? And we thought, well, we entrust them to your care, Lord. And, and they had a fantastic time. Uh, by way of comparison, uh, I remember uh, speaking in a mega church, 60,000 uh, people in Seoul, um, multiple congregations. George Vera was speaking to the, to the Korean congregation. I was speaking to the English congregation. He only had to speak twice. I had to speak four times before lunch. Um, it was absolutely exhausting, but I remember meeting the staff there and being quite enamored by their, their heart for mission and their, and their passion to reach the lost. I recall a, another church uh, in uh, Malaysia, a Pentecostal church. Um, after I, I preached my heart out, I was invited to stand up the front with the other pastors and, and everybody gathered for prayer. Um, and people were falling over, which was a little unfamiliar to me, but, but as I was praying for, for people, um, the Spirit of God touched them in, in some amazing ways. And then I mentioned last week a, a little church in a Kenyan slum. What I didn't tell you last week was I recall a moment where a lady came in um, screaming and, and so forth. I thought, what is going on? Turned out that she actually had a mental health issue and it was beautiful to watch the Christians, the brothers and sisters in Christ just come around her and love her and care for her and help her in that, that time of need. The point is, in, in each of those churches, in a very real and beautiful sense, I knew that God was present and I could see the Spirit of God working through that fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. There are many different forms of church. But a good question for us to always ask is this, is this the best form? And it's a great question for now, isn't it? During this season of, of coronavirus and and all of us actually using digital forms and so on. Is this the best form for us um, at the moment? And, and what is the best form for us going forward in, in uncertain times? Our passage today is, is from Acts chapter 2, and I'm just going to read some, some verses from verse 42 to 40, 47. I recall the first time I read this as a young man, um, I, was, I was down at the beach sitting on a grassy knoll looking out over Port Phillip Bay and, and I, I was just started to read through Acts for the very first time in my life. I got to this particular chapter and, and I was just so excited about what I was reading here 
about what church could look, look like. Read with me, would you? Acts chapter 2, verse 40, 42, and, and I pray that by the Spirit of God, you'll once again just glimpse a little bit of God's heart for what the church can be. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That was one form. And they broke bread in their homes. That was another form. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a great glimpse of, of some of the some of the beautiful elements of, of that New Testament church, that early church. Of course, the New Testament church has many expressions, doesn't it? And we've got many letters to, to the churches to address various situations and particular issues and even heresies that arose in those churches um, in, those, in those early days. But here in Acts, we have a, a beautiful glimpse of the early church there in, in Jerusalem. And like most Christians, we ask ourselves, what's the secret? What's the clue here? What, what is it that made this, this fellowship so, so rich? Is it, is it the miracles? Was the apostolic teaching of a, of a, you know, a, a particular quality? What, what was it? I believe the, the secret to everything that was happening here is actually found earlier on in Acts in chapter 1, verse 4, where Jesus is speaking to the 11 disciples over a period of 40 days. It must have been an, an incredible little Bible school, just that, having that intimate time with, with Jesus. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Verse 5, John baptised with water. In a few days, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, when this happens, you'll receive power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. There they are, equipped to fulfill one of the core functions of the church. You will be my witnesses, firstly in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That one little verse there, verse, verse 8, is sort of like a summary of how the book of Acts is actually going to unfold. And, of course, in chapter 2, we see that actually happening on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God coming upon all of the believers. The essence of what made that New Testament church there in Jerusalem um, something that we, we crave for and rightly yearn for still today, the essence of it is the Holy Spirit. It's life with God. It's the life of Jesus Christ with us through the agency of his, his Holy Spirit. Um, we, we title this particular book Acts, but in some older Bibles you can, you can read the Acts of the Apostles or perhaps the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, which is it? Is it the Acts of the Apostles? Is it the Acts of the Church? Because certainly both the Apostles and the Church were, um, well, there's plenty of action. Or is it the acts ultimately of the Holy Spirit? What the Holy Spirit is actually doing through the apostles, yes, and then through the church. I think actually it's that. 
as the acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we sometimes call that concept Missio Dei, meaning that um, um, God the Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, and the Spirit sends the church. But the church becomes the agent of the Spirit of God, who is the agent of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. At the end of the day, it is the Holy Spirit working in and through the believers that makes this fellowship rich and ignited with the presence the presence of God, something that, that I'm sure you have felt at particular times and I have felt at particular times in, in my life as well. But you see, the, the essence, if the essence is there, the function will follow. If, if the believers are, are truly filled with the spirit of God and celebrating the grace of God, then the fruit will come. It's a little bit like fruit follows abiding. Well, function follows essence. And the point of form is simply this, to facilitate the functionality of the church and to give expression to the essence of the church. That's what form is for, and that's why form is important. And, and we'll have a little bit of a discussion more about that, that next week. But it comes back to essence, because if the essence of who we are as a people of God is, is not real and authentic and genuine, if we are not experiencing that, then we can't give expression to that. The functionality won't be there. The fruit won't be there. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There can be no fruit if we are not abiding. There can be no functioning if the essence of what church is is somehow dysfunctional, is not working properly. There can be no building, building up of one another and there can be no lighting up of the world and reaching out to the lost. And it doesn't matter what form we have, the form is no substitute for the essence in producing a holy functioning church. And so essence is absolutely key here. Um, in verse 42, it seems that the early believers understood this. Um, it, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Do you remember that uh, when Jesus said, wait here in Jerusalem for the gift from my father, it was in the context of a meal. Um, Jesus was, was eating with them. He was breaking bread with them. Reminds you of, of the two on the road to Emmaus. As he was breaking the bread, suddenly they saw who he really was. I wonder if it was many of those moments where Jesus was breaking bread amongst them and teaching them that they remembered the Passover, which was not that long ago, and they remembered that Jesus had said, here is my body broken for you. And now here is the resurrected Christ in their midst, breaking bread with them once more and teaching them about this wonderful gospel of grace. Celebrating grace together. That's what the early church did. They were constantly going back to what makes this good news good. Why, why are we celebrating together? What is the heart of our, of our witness? How do we build one another up? Um, grace is, is, of course, um, that moment where we, we recognise, quite simply, we don't measure up to God's holiness. But Jesus invites us to surrender our tape measures. We're no longer measuring, measuring ourselves and, and then measuring others as well. We just surrender the 
take measures and we say, oh, you know what, <laughs> I actually don't measure up. But that's okay. Grace has got me covered. And brother, sister, it's not important <laughs> about you trying to measure up either. Let's all put the tape measures away. Let's know that in Christ, covered by his blood, covered by grace, our heavenly father says, not guilty. You measure up now. I see it to you, sin. And then with that, with that awareness of the grace of God which covers us, his righteousness which now clothes us, we share this truth with one another. We teach it again and again and again continuously, celebrating grace together, which does two things. It deepens our fellowship, and we see that here in these verses, and it makes our witness real. We can talk and talk and talk about Jesus, but if it's not real for us, if we, if we don't realise that we're covered by his grace and we're, we're living that out day by day, moment by moment, then it's just talk. Our witness isn't real. The early church understood what makes this good news good. They understood the power of grace and they celebrated that continually amongst them. This is the heart of the church, the, the essence of who we are, this gospel of grace. Uh, the atoning work of Jesus Christ, our saviour, that's what enables us to abide, to remain in Christ. And we are to stay there in the covering of his blood. We're actually going to celebrate that together in, in just a moment. And I hope as a, as a family um, you've got bread and, and you've got juice or wine to celebrate this together. We're actually literally going to do exactly what the New Testament church uh, used to do, breaking bread in one another's homes. Now, normally that would include hospitality and fellowship. We can't do that just at the moment. But we can, together, virtually, break bread in one another's homes just now and, and celebrate together this gospel of grace, which is the core of who we are, which is the essence of the church, which, when lived out, will help us to function the way that we are supposed to function.